0: I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week.
1: Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful.
0: So now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen, listen for, for the, the word.
0: word. Hi, hey everybody, and welcome to our podcast today as we head into Lent. Uh, today we are in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 and we're talking about the temptation of jesus so alan take us away kind of set this up for us
1: yeah thanks christy um Our gospel lesson this week takes us back a bit in Luke's Mm -hmm. narrative to the story of Jesus' temptation. And this is common. The the Revised Common Lectionary starts off the season of Lent every year with the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And of course, this makes sense because Mm -hmm. the origins of Lent have to do with challenging all Christians to follow Jesus' example by engaging in a fast, quote unquote, (laughs) for Mm -hmm. 40 days. Uh, And that's you know the way you you count that is right. when you take out the Sundays. There are forty days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday.
0: And this is this is historical in the church when yep. you look back at the old lectionary versions. This is exactly what they looked at. when yeah, they did. Really. So this is mm-hmm. this this has a tradition in the church. Sure,
1: yeah. sure. Now, unlike Mark, who only mentions Jesus' temptation, Mm -hmm. Luke and Matthew both have full-blown temptation narratives. And except for the fact that the second and third temptations are reported in different order, the substance of the two narratives is parallel, though not verbatim, which Mm. is normal when it comes to narrative passages in the Synoptic Gospels.
0: You know, as I think about that, um, even though Mark just mentions it, it is significant enough that he does mention it. it. So it is definitely... Uh, An important, I I think it's tempting to skip over this because it's kind of weird to modern ears. I think Mm -hmm. in some ways, but yet there's definitely a significance for us theologically. And so, um, at least when for my read um, was this role of the Holy Spirit in it. And so, perhaps you can um, explain: Does the Holy Spirit? (laughs) making Jesus do this, or is the <laughs> Holy a good, Spirit a good
1: um,
0: separate and watching <sighs> Jesus? How, how does the Holy Spirit come
1: well, in? Well, you know, I've said before that, that for Luke, one of the main themes he wants to us to understand about Jesus is that he conducts his ministry. He conducts his life empowered by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm, I realize for for those of us who are post-chalcedon and we have a you know full-blown, two-nature Christology, it may be hard for us to see, well, well, if Jesus is fully divine, why does he need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Luke believes that in his humanity Jesus needs the empowerment of the mm-hmm, Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to carry out his ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the way Luke introduces the temptation narrative. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, you know, uh, not only then does Luke emphasize that Jesus returned from Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, but also he was led by the Spirit. Now, you know, um, it's a little bit different in Mark's gospel because it, it, it suggests that Jesus was sort of driven into the wilderness by yeah, the spirit yeah, yeah. And, and almost left there and
0: left there. That yeah. is, that is, can be interpreted. From and
1: that. and we're going to, we're going to talk about the language of this, but, but you know, I think the text could suggest that Jesus was led by the spirit during the entire time of his mm-hmm. temptation. So in other words, no, the spirit was not responsible for the temptation. The spirit mm-hmm. was there uh, empowering Jesus to, overcome the temptation the whole time okay that's my read on luke's gospel yeah
0: yeah and it's, it's a different space right because mm-hmm. and and um i found myself kind of as i was reading luke having a different sense than yes. i did than i did when i read matthew because right it seems like okay now he's left alone to right kind of, exactly yeah exactly. Um, um so that's interesting that's yeah. interesting it must it must have to do with Luke's theology, um, or at least his present to us. Well,
1: as I said, I mean, for for Luke, he, one of his main emphases in Jesus' ministry is that he conducts his ministry in the power of the Spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and so we see that so here. So that's
0: it, we see it here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what comes next?
1: Well, um, so again, you know, the question is, and, and that really is the question, you know, is Jesus simply left on his own with the tempter as his only companion, which is what we seem to, was seems to suggest in Matthew, or, you know, does the Spirit accompany him? And it all turns on the wording of the text. In Luke's version, the text literally reads, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness while he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And the question has to do with how to understand the Greek phrase in te eremo, in the, in the wilderness. Um, English language translations are about equally divided between in the wilderness and into mm-hmm. the wilderness. And there's a difference there, right? Mm-hmm. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness mm-hmm. sort of suggests the Mathean reading, you right, know, that right. he was led there and left there. right. Um, And the Greek proposition N could have either meaning. And in fact, the majority of Greek manuscripts uh, actually read Ice Tain Eremon into the desert, Mm -hmm. which is the way both Mark and Matthew have it. Mm The translation then into would suggest that the leading by the Spirit only initiated the process, but the translation N leaves open the idea that as the Revised Standard Version translates this, and I like it, Jesus was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. They rearranged the phrases to make it clear that the Spirit was there, the whole time, throughout the whole 40 oh, days of the yeah. wilderness. Wow. I like that reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this, And I think that's what Luke is want, wanting us to see here, that the spirit who empowered Jesus for his ministry was there also to empower him to withstand the temptation during the whole 40 days.
0: And, you know, I, I that's awesome. And I thought when I've read this myself, because when you read it yourself, you're like, what is the role of the Holy Spirit really mm. and and I do think we are victims of reading the Matthew person, yes we right? are we so are. that goes in oh well he was left there and so this is this is really actually really empowering it is to me um because it gives me a whole different way to visualize this and it, it's it's almost comforting it's it's, it is. it's like the Holy Spirit doesn't leave Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's not going to leave me either. Right, it's right, very it's right. it's very cool. It is. Okay, so then uh, we we learn about this whole 40 days. Tell us yeah. about that.
1: So Luke continues by reporting that Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And as we noted last year, Matthew's gospel specifically says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, mm-hmm. which is almost a, a a formula in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Luke and Mark both simply have for 40 days, but I would say that anyone familiar with the Hebrew Bible or the Septuagint would have heard echoes from the Hebrew Bible right, in this I phrase. Mm-hmm. And so then the combined, you know, this, this, this use of 40 days combined with the use of the wilderness, which again we saw last year has, has a wide range of connotations in the Hebrew Bible, sets the stage for Jesus' temptation by the devil. Now, we also dis- as we also discussed in A Different Connection last year, um, in the Jewish literature of the time, there were a variety of names for the evil mm-hmm. one. And I would say that my view is that speculation about the powers of evil probably began in the exile under the influence of Persian right, culture. Right. And it was still, in my opinion, it was still very fluid in the New Testament era, which to me... Uh, You know, if you look at the way the New Testament refers to the devil, they they use a wide variety of terminology for the devil. Mm -hmm. Now, diabolos, ha diabolos, might be the main term that's used in the New Testament, but there's a wide range of of, um, uh, names and titles Mm -hmm. that are attributed to this um, this being. And, And really, the idea of a devil, in my opinion, only becomes definitive in the Patristic era although many would argue that it was already clearly developed in the New Testament. What is clear, I think, is that there was a concept of an evil one, but what is not clear is just exactly, you know, what we're to make of that.
0: Right. What does What does that mean? Right. It, it may, probably does not mean a little red figure with horns and, no. a, and a little no. pitchfork. And a, no. <laughs> sorry, yesterday I had my my confirmation kids um draw evil and so one of them actually drew the little guy with a pitchfork and so um just to kind of getting them to think outside the box a little bit and and to think about you know what
1: that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh, strategy
0: it was it was really it was really interesting so yeah and i don't think as you just pointed out that is not there's not one kind of little guy with a little red you know, body of right. little pitchfork—that is the—that is evil. Here, this right. is this is a much vaguer concept that has a lot of nuance. Yeah, like, am I understanding right?
1: Yeah, well, and I would say it's just simply—I I don't think that—I don't think that this con—the concept of the devil as we understand it—had fully crystallized in the New Testament. Right. It took it took the the early church fathers to 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 bring that together.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, we move on, and we learn that during this forty days, Jesus is going to fast,
1: yeah, and basically, Luke simply tells us that Jesus ate nothing at all during those days and when he was when they were over, he was famished or literally he he mm-hmm. was hungry. Um, now, this is similar to Matthew's notice that Jesus fasted for forty days and forty nights. Um, but it's interesting that a fast doesn't necessarily mean. That you go entirely without food, right? So um, um, Luke makes it very clear: Jesus ate nothing at all right. during those days. Okay. Now, to go without food entirely for forty days would be very difficult, but it has been documented that persons have survived twenty-one right. to 40, forty days without food if they take water. Right, right. And and uh, s- there have been individuals who have survived ten to fourteen days without any sustenance at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this would have been a very difficult thing, but I think, I think we're to see the four, I don't know how literal we we need to take the 40 days. As I said before, it's kind of a, it's kind of a theme in in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And of course, biblical precedents include Moses on Mount Sinai and Elijah in the wilderness, which I think very much influenced this narrative.
0: Well, I think it has to, right? I mean, when you have those figures that Mm -hmm. are. Are the figures that we we look at we hold up, and then to put Jesus not equal to, um, I think causes a problem, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I mean mentally, it's like, oh, but here's this, you know, mm-hmm. here's this new covenant, and I mean, Jesus, he was out there for 15 days. I right. mean, it really, <laughs> right. right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't even, yeah. even if you're talking literally, or even just. Um, even just thematically, I think you have to stay with right. the theme. So it right. fits the context. It does. The it does. He follows
1: mm-hmm. the pattern established in the Hebrew Bible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, um, Let's, let's move on then um, to more to more about this, the temptations. Yeah,
1: so this leads us then to another di- difference in detail between Matthew and Luke. Matthew says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, but then simply states that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Then Matthew says the tempter came and said to him to introduce the first, three te- the, the first mm-hmm. of the three temptations. And so the implication is that Jesus fasted for 40 days, then... Mm-hmm the devil came and tempted him. On the other hand, Luke says that Jesus was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And the syntax of the Greek clearly indicates that Luke means to say that Jesus was tempted throughout the entire 40 days by the devil. Mm -hmm. It's a genitive absolute construction in the present tense that could be translated while being tempted by the devil to bring that notion Mm -hmm. out a little Mm -hmm. more clearly.
0: That, that makes sense. That actually makes more sense yeah. to me. Oh, you're going to go out and not eat for 40 days. You're not tempted at all. You're just, I, I, no, you know when you're hungry that if seeing anything you want to eat, there's a you want to eat it. You want to,
1: well, and more so, I think Luke sets it up that, you know, you, there is this, there is this kind of battle going on between yeah. the devil and the spirit, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, the spirit is empowering Jesus. The devil is tempting Jesus yeah. for the entire 40 days. And Jesus is also going without food, which weakens him further. Well,
0: and I think it makes, I think it makes Jesus more human empowered mm-hmm. by this. I mean, if you've ever gone out by yourself in the wilderness, terrifying, um, and, and just to make it, oh, well, Jesus didn't have any problem with this. I think it makes more sense. It's more human mm-hmm. um, that than to, to know this is terrifying. There is temptation there. Holy Spirit is walking with him the whole time. I, right. That makes more sense in my right. brain.
1: Right. <clears throat> So I think, you know, um, the three specific instances in Luke's narrative only represent the conclusion then of a longer experience of temptation that Jesus under, underwent. And I think we could read these three specific temptations uh, as representative of what he experienced during his 40-day-long ordeal. It wasn't just a, you know, well, after the 40 days, then then he was tempted. It was a 40-day-long temptation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so moving on, um, what about the first one it it seems to me that matthew and luke agree the first temptation Mm -hmm. is is hunger Yep,
1: that's right and that makes sense you know because um obviously he's gone without food for 40 days right yes and so the first temptation is if you are the son of god command this stone to become a loaf of bread and you know we could well ask what would have been wrong with jesus turning a stone into bread to feed himself but we have to understand the situation as a whole the essential temptation here was for jesus to misuse his Right. calling and his power and furthermore it would seem that the temptation turns on trust mm-hmm. it is based on questioning jesus identity as the son of god which has just been affirmed to him by the voice mm-hmm. from heaven at his baptism we can't we should not miss that connection right, right that he has just come from the baptism right where he has been affirmed at, you know by the heavenly voice you are my son and right. and so now you know, the temptation is, is, is is you know, about that, you know. It's mm-hmm. questioning his identity as the son of God. And so, you know, the temptation basically presents Jesus with the choice of giving him to the temptation to use his calling and power to serve his own desires. Mm-hmm. Or the choice to trust the heavenly right. voice at his baptism and thus to depend on God for all of his needs.
0: Yeah. I keep, as we're talking about this, I keep then projecting ahead to Jesus on the cross. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, and
1: how is he going to be able to do that how can you if do he can't that? face this temptation? Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um,
0: so uh, let's, let's keep moving ahead with this. Um, there's more about this. So it's not just. Uh, me moving ahead, but also moves back. In
1: the yeah, yeah, and so, you know, this whole dynamic of, of the temptation being about Jesus' um, calling and power and identity and, and about about his trust in God is is implied and even reinforced with Jesus' answer. Uh, Jesus simply answers, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And here Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, and it's essential, I think, to note the context of this quotation. It concerns the 40 years, again, 40, 40 years the people of Israel mm-hmm. spent in the wilderness. And the lesson that Moses indicates was the purpose of their time in the wilderness was to humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. That's Deuteronomy 8.2. Mm-hmm. And so then the means for accomplishing this was by letting you hunger, then feeding you with manna. And the lesson they were to learn from that was that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. Now I find it interesting that Jesus' response to the devil is word for word the same as in the Septuagint, including the word "order," which to me suggests that somehow Luke had a written copy of the Septuagint that he was able to use. I think use. this
0: is amazing. Yeah. I, and I, I, I'm on. A, I'm ringing the bell and highlighting this for folks. This is the same wording in a Septuagint. Mm-hmm. This is really cool.
1: And using <laughs> using the same words wouldn't have been all that astonishing but the fact that it's in the same Same order order, i think that suggests that he's Mm -hmm. quoting from from a text
0: Yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah um so then the temptation this temptation in the gospels presents jesus as the obedient son of god who learned the lesson that israel was meant to learn in the wilderness temptation that faith Means living by every word that mm-hmm. comes from the mouth of the Lord, mm-hmm. and so it's really it's really about his his faith in God and his faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the gist of the temptation.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, there's more temptations. Yes, a indeed. Second temptation. What's
1: next? Yeah, and the next one really just elaborates on this. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. Mm-hmm. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Mm-hmm. And so here, again, I think the motivation behind the temptation is laid bare even more clearly, that Jesus would adopt the mindset that the ends justify the means. If Jesus would only worship the devil, he would receive the glory and authority over all the kingdoms without going through the painful process of dying on the cross. And... You know, um, again, I think this basically turns on uh, the question of his faith in and his faithfulness to God. Will he be, will he trust in God? Will he be faithful to God? Now, for the record, while some biblical scholars believe that perhaps in some way the devil did have control over all the mm-hmm. kingdoms of the world, I have never endorsed that view. You know, from I think sp-
0: it's too literal. I'm sorry. Well, was, yeah. and from a
1: biblical perspective, it doesn't make any sense. From a biblical perspective, there is only one who rules right. over the kingdoms of the world, and that is God. And right. God has not abdicated his sovereignty over all the kingdoms of the world. Right. Now, the kingdoms of the world may hand themselves over to other powers right. by their own choices, right. but God has not abdicated his role. Uh, right. Right. As, as ruling yeah. over all the things. To kings. me, that
0: would shift. You'd have to really shift your theology to buy into yeah. that. It, it, well, yeah. it becomes that dualistic theology is what yeah. it does, and that's something that we have discussed in the past. Sure. That and, and, and even in in here is really what is this devil character and that Persian view of... Well,
1: and it, it has you know, to do with apocalyptic theology as well, yeah. which is all a part of the same piece. Yeah, you know.
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of off, but but I think it's easy for us to get to get kind of swept into that space. And we're Mm -hmm. we're kind of wanting to draw you back from that. I I would
1: say, I would say the devil was lying when he said that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, So, um,
1: So again, the the central temptation really concerns Jesus' relationship with God, right? Yes, Uh, The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus will worship him, but Jesus replies, again, quoting scripture, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13. The quotation isn't quite the same as the Septuagint. There's some wording changes, but that's essentially what he's changing. Uh, I mean, that's essentially what he's quoting. And here also the context of the quotation that jesus uses to fend off the temptation is significant Mm. moses is urging the people in deuteronomy chapter six to keep the commandment that he has just given them now that's deuteronomy five the ten commandments right Mm -hmm. and it's in this context that moses insists the lord is our god the lord alone in the shema which was to be recited Mm -hmm. multiple times daily since Yahweh was their God alone, then the great commandments follows. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might, which means in that context, explicitly Moses says, keeping God's commands in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And so then Moses goes on to warn them against letting their newfound prosperity in the promised land make them forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so Moses instructs them, you shall fear the Lord your God, him you shall serve, so that they would not follow other gods. And so that's the mm-hmm. difference between the Septuagint and and Hebrew Bible of Deuteronomy six thirteen and Luke 4 4 um, and the Septuagint says you shall fear the Lord your God and him you shall serve and and Luke says you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only it adds only as well but you know the fundamental issue is the same regardless of the wording only God deserves worship and to give that worship to anything or anyone else is a betrayal of the covenant mm-hmm. fidelity to God. That's the whole point of Deuteronomy right. chapter six, right? Right, and right, so right, right, right. Jesus, you know, there's it's no accident that Jesus cites um, this passage, uh, and and once again, though the people of Israel failed this temptation, and we would say they failed it over and over again, Jesus refused to do so. Right. He remained faithful to God.
0: Right, right, which is. Which is important. Yes, I mean, it is. obviously, it's important with Jesus. But I think well,
1: again, as we said before, you know, um, Jesus has been endorsed by the heavenly voice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but now Jesus is undergoing the test to see if right. he is going to be true to God. I
0: think I think it's important for us to see the humanity here and 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 understand that Jesus is tempted, and and mm-hmm. we forget sometimes because we're like, well, Jesus is God, so Jesus doesn't right? have that human temptation. <laughs> right. So we're kind of. We're in that space. But we really have to get into the shoes and understand that Jesus in his humanity has to experience actual temptation and he has to withstand it. Um, we're
1: in that space that the he the writer of hebrews says he was tempted in every way as we are yes yeah, sin. yes
0: yeah, yeah. so there is a third temptation so tell us yes, about that. yes indeed
1: and in the third one um uh, luke tells us the devil took him to jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple saying to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down from from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to protect you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone and there um, the devil is quoting the septuagint of luke uh, of psalm 91 11 and 12 i find it interesting that the devil quotes the septuagint well you know
0: <laughs> that's pretty funny but what what we do see is that the devil's using jesus's technique
1: yes indeed and, and actually misusing scripture here <laughs> yes yeah. important now, this is the second temptation in Matthew's gospel. Um, perhaps in Matthew's gospel, we have the sequence of moving from Jesus' hunger to Jerusalem to the, all the kingdoms of the world. Right. So there's this sort of expanding kind right. of, of movement in the temptations in Matthew's gospel. In Luke's gospel, this is the final temptation. And I think there's several reasons for that. For one thing, Jerusalem is the focal point for all that happens related to God's kingdom in Luke and Acts. Uh, furthermore here the devil uses his own method against him by misquoting scripture you know um, Mm -hmm. um, the whole point of psalm 91 is that this is this is what is promised to those who dwell in the shadow of the most high who who basically seek seek god as their refuge by faith and faithfulness right and so uh, you know if the devil is really quoting these verses he's missed the whole point of it right right. and so um um you know that may be another reason why why it's the final temptation in luke's gospel and then lastly jesus answer seems to close the door on all efforts to induce jesus to test god so you know, um, I, that seems to be what's going on in terms of the order. Which order of temptations is original is anyone's guess. And I think perhaps we ought to see both Matthew's and Luke's narratives as theological statements re, statements about Jesus, really rather than reports of an actual event. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I think that's important. And I do think there's a tendency to see this as an event. But yeah. I, I agree. I think this is...
1: Matthew and Luke are making a theological statement yes, about Jesus. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then the final... Final temptation is, is simply an extension of the first two. Right. Would Jesus trust and obey God, or would he put God's promises to the test by seeking deliverance from falling to his death in Jerusalem? Notice, deliverance from death in Jerusalem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it, that's yeah. a really uh, right? that's a little subtle i don't think i would have picked up on that yep. had you not put it in there yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. and so again while israel failed this test many times jesus refused he said it is said do not put the lord your god to the test and again here luke cites the septuagint of deuteronomy six sixteen word for word down to the word order mm-hmm. so you know that brings us then to the end of the of the passage. And really, I think, uh, as we said before, the whole purpose of this story in Luke's gospel is to demonstrate that Jesus has not only been endorsed by God to begin his ministry of bringing the kingdom of God to the people, but that his fidelity to God's purpose has been thoroughly tested, mm-hmm. and now he's ready to engage in his public yes, ministry. Yes, 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 yes. And that's what's going to happen in the very next verse. We right. have Jesus' uh, appearance at Nazareth and his rejection at right. Nazareth. Right, exactly. The well,
0: and... It- when you think about that, that rejection at Nazareth as the first thing that Luke, set, Luke yep. sets up says, "Look," and this temptation <laughs> yes. is continues. being tested at the very beginning, <laughs> yep. right? Yeah, um, yeah. Are you ready to be rejected? Yeah, yeah. 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 Very yeah. good. Well, we'll we will be back looking at some reformers.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to let Christy uh, talk to us about the Reformers. So uh, tell us what you sure, found, Christy. Sure, sure.
0: So I, I found some of the commentary pieces on this. And, um, you know, one of the the big overall uh, pieces I saw was that this is viewed as kind of a New Testament equivalent of receiving the law. Um, so in, in their minds, it was necessary to put Jesus into the tradition of Moses, if you will, um, so that, that he has the same kind of, um, prophetic voice I guess at least through the the, the tradition of the scripture so I thought- that
1: makes that makes perfect sense to me I mean we've just we've just laid out how Jesus quotations line up with Moses and the law exactly. especially in Deuteronomy chapter exactly. 6 right and so.
0: it think it's clear to me that the reformers were were a, a well enough steeped in their in their scripture that they recognized mm-hmm. this Um, even though they were still really new at at digging through the Greek themselves, I still think they were, they had this awareness of it. They could see it. And you know, I, I thought this was interesting as well. And I know we're looking at Luke, but I thought there was an, an association between Jesus, the person and the word are tied together. And they really come out with the, um, the role of scripture in this and that Jesus fulfills the scripture, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm Um, Calvin, in particular, identifies this passage as kind of an apprenticeship for Jesus, mm. something he must do before he f- takes on his role um, as 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 a, sa- a savior, as a savior. Um, and it, it couldn't be done lightly in the wake of the law, um, and so therefore he um, it had to be this kind of same kind of grandeur that right. had it. And so this this is a a big piece. This isn't just something that happened, you know. In an hour, but this is something that happens over this forty days. Mm-hmm. This is a big undertaking, mm-hmm. and I think and, that's... And
1: of course, the parallel is that Moses spends forty days the exactly, outside exactly. receiving the law. And I yeah. think
0: they have that visualization here of of Moses and and the the you know getting the getting the law and the time he's up there and the kind of transformation and that this has that kind of transformative mm-hmm. uh, role for Jesus, surely, mm-hmm. surely. And so, two themes come out of it. Uh, One, and I think we're already alluding to this, is that Jesus is the second Moses. Um, And... This, of course, reflects the 40 days that we've talked about and 40 nights that we've seen before. Um, and there's also reference to Elijah, who too fasted 40 days in restoring the law. So they make this direct, direct connection. And, of course, I was thinking about then later on when the transfiguration and who's there, Moses right. and Elijah. Exactly. So right. that's interesting that they're they're tying this all together here as well, But mm-hmm. this is just an essential part of the of God's story to put them into Current, the story. Right, mm-hmm. right,
1: right. And, well, and as we've said before, you know, Luke is keen on writing the story of Jesus into that larger narrative you know it's interesting that um, I think most New Testament scholars would they wouldn't say necessarily that Jesus is uh, the second Moses here they would say Jesus is the true son of God I, I, yeah. because because you know the, the, the comparison really the, the more I guess the closer comparison for a lot of New Testament scholars is with with Israel in the wilderness mm-hmm. and where Israel failed as the son of God, right? Uh, in terms of their faith and their fidelity and their faithfulness to God, Jesus uh, um, uh, was remained um, trusting and faithful to God.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and and they didn't they didn't and, and they were really t- keying on on Moses mm-hmm. um, specifically, but I was thinking at this in terms of we talked earlier about these early, you know, reformed churches where the only thing they would put on the wall was the 10 commandments. And so there's definitely this kind of, of continuity, there, thereafter there, after mm-hmm. there, um, but they hadn't articulated it yet to what you are suggesting. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be more of a direct reference to Moses. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just kept seeing Moses, Moses, Moses. And that makes up. sense.
1: I mean, it, uh, like I said before, that makes sense because the the passages that are quoted, you know, by Jesus come straight from that whole section of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. which is which is related to the giving of the law.
0: Another another way they do this too, which is interesting, is Melanchthon made the comparison to Moses and comparing. Jesus' temptation to turn stones into bread is comparable to uh, the provision of the manna. Mm. And so this idea that... that both situations are that you don't just live on on bread alone that God provides. Well, and to some mm-hmm. extent,
1: I mean, it really is the same because because um, the people were dependent upon God to provide the manna, and rather than turn, you know making his own bread, exactly, <laughs> Jesus is dependent upon right. God but for his sustenance. Right, dependent on God for
0: his sustenance, yeah. even you know, even if there's nothing to eat or he's not eating anything, he's he's relying on God's yeah. space. So that was the first theme, and then the second. Si- theme is that jesus can defeat satan and this of course takes on that understanding of this active satan figure and mm-hmm. we talked about that forming and that and we've i know we've talked about this before but this is very much part of the medieval church definitely is that there's this definite satan figure that could be identified and we see it in of course in in just the entire way that the worldview was was depicted in a medieval in the medieval world and so therefore
1: almost and almost on the same level i would say i mean the medieval theology was was very dualistic in the sense that that the devil was put almost on the same level with god
0: yeah yeah
1: by the way not intentionally but but just by the way exactly. they by the way they magnified the figure of satan and the how much power they attributed to satan right you know they they basically created an anti-god
0: yeah, exactly. And so this, and while the Reformation, some of the figures are starting to pull away from that, it's still kind of, it's just so shaped into how they mm-hmm. understand the world. And remember, this is a worldview too, where, you know, you're still thinking of a static, you know, the cosmology is so different. You're still thinking of the static earth, you know, flat in many mm-hmm. cases. And it's, you know, you're thinking of heaven above and hell below. God's realm, the devil's realm, the low, you know, when you read the kind of the, the popular literature, it's, you know, all about going down. Mm -hmm. And we still use that phraseology today, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going, you're going down, you know, (laughs) that's where things burn. You
1: go go up to heaven and down Down to to hell. hell. And
0: so it it kind of, even that kind of understanding of the world um, shapes too how you, how you think of mm-hmm. of this dualistic space? So yep. it's very much ingrained into how one processes the world, and of course, it's, it takes not only um, kind of a, a more modern sense of the world, but also I think modernity in terms of how we understand the heavens to work, how we mm-hmm. understand planetary to work. So this all ties together. Well, and I
1: think we have a more nuanced view of evil now as well.
0: Yes, I agree absolutely. Uh-huh. We've developed, we've developed that sense of it's not this this little guy red although as I said even my kiddos are still <laughs> still forming that yeah. um so but but really interesting um in my little project with the kiddos a whole bunch of them wrote their evil thing on the one side of the paper and they flipped over and they started drawing flowers and they're like well flowers are really easy to draw and I'm like but there's something in the mind that that sees you know in my world good coming out of evil right mm-hmm. so i think there's something much more much more significant going on there than they give credit yeah, for i just so. thought that was really interesting anyway maybe it's too much into it but i thought it was i thought it was really interesting how many flowers i got on the, <laughs> on the backside of their evil <laughs> evil dudes um <laughs> maybe it's just girls like to draw flowers i don't know yeah anyway um the second theme is, that, as I said, that Jesus can defeat Satan. Um, and, and here, I think, in, in in their worldview, this Satan that's talking to Jesus is very real in their mind. Mm-hmm. But that Jesus always has an ability to answer. Um, Satan with Scripture. So again, we're tying that significance of the word back into it. Um, and then I thought one of the reformers had this really interesting discussion of how this Scripture helps emphasize the doctrine of the hypostatic union, and that Satan wanted to test to see if this Christ were actually just adopted by God or was God Himself.
1: <laughs> I find that I find that amusing. Really, that 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 one of the one of the reformers would have would have would have. He that much theological yeah. acumen to Satan. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, no. isn't that interesting? Uh, it, it, you're right. It, it goes too far. But <laughs> uh, you know, if he were the true son of God, it gave the devil the chance to respond in ancient envy, anger, and indignation.
1: In other um, words, the way, according to the legend of Satan that had developed by that exactly. time, the way Satan originally responded to God.
0: Exactly. And so
1: if Jesus is in hypostatic union with God, he would respond in the exactly. same way to him. Yeah.
0: So, um, and then they go on and talk about the second temptation um, about the kingdoms um, uh, is about being liked, being being popular rather than being despised. Um, hmm. So it's a lesson about idolatry in their mind. Hmm. Um, so, um, and then a third temptation to throw yourself down and, and have test the angels. Um, one of the reformers suggests that God has provided another means to go down. In other words, um, it's, it's, it's that same idea of, of, of why, why fall into some magical means of falling down when there's other ways to get there. Um, yeah. So there's a sense that here that it was not in the throwing down, but the willingness to test God. What Satan did what what did Satan know? Not why did Satan not throw Jesus down?
1: Right. Why didn't he push him off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is
0: evident <laughs> Right. If he's yes. wanting
1: if he's wanting Jesus to exactly, test God, exactly. why didn't he just push him off? Yeah. yeah.
0: So it, it it for them is evidence that it's not God's doing that causes misfortune and evil, but rather the choice of the individual himself. So they're really giving hmm. a lot of um credit to human freedom. And mm-hmm. and I think in here is this more deep theological idea that, that sin and evil can come from um, humans rejection of God. Mm-hmm. So this is not fully developed, but it seems to be in this kind of pieces of this discussion. Sure. Then um, one of them comes up with the whole thing of um, is God, the author of evil. Mm. So this is that whole situation that challenging of the dualistic mindset right. and um, you know, so they were they were confronted with some of these basic questions of theodicy. And the question is, if the Holy Spirit led Christ to be tempted, is God the author of it? According to the reformers, no. That God is an actor, but not an author. Um God does not make you do it. Right. So again,
1: well, and that goes with what we saw. I mean, you know, the spirit the Spirit didn't just throw him out in the wilderness and leave him there. The Spirit accompanied him the whole time and empowered him and enabled him to overcome mm-hmm, temptation. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then there's the question of whether Satan inspires us, the sin within us, um, that the sin originates within individuals convincing you that you have risen through your own abilities. And um, Jesus shows us how to be humble mm. ourselves before God. So they're, they're, um it's kind of this idea of of where that origin again back to that origin of our sin is
1: well you know I didn't I didn't uh, pursue that angle myself but I you know I can see that because you know the whole idea of glory and authority of all the kingdoms and all mm-hmm. of that and and to and to receive the adulation of the Jewish people by working a miracle right in front of them in the pinnacle of the temple you know um, um, and and I think biblically speaking you know and it takes humility to recognize that we are dependent on god wholly Mm -hmm. and completely right and to have that kind of faith that leads to the kind of faithfulness that jesus displayed right
0: right 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 right. so anyway those are some of the kind of (laughs) theological developments that start emerging with the, the reformers in this and um as i said they they are all um uh, they're all kind of, of of working through kind of assumptions about uh, assumptions about the church and yet how Scripture seems to be pushing them to maybe make some new kind of observations. So I think that's really interesting and um, it, it doesn't play out fully at this point
1: well and i guess i guess we shouldn't be surprised that they uh, they looked at this passage uh in terms of how it related to their theology of god and then their theology of jesus Mm -hmm. you know that Mm -hmm. makes sense
0: yeah it does it does and there's some instructional pieces they pick up from this as well um so um this is interesting so erasmus remember erasmus never actually joins the reformation but um um he it kind of pushes it forward at the beginning, and um, Erasmus was claiming that look, the role of Jesus in the de- desert, desert reflected that we should all strive for religious devotion after baptism. <laughs> Again, there's a whole striving thing there to, that comes up with the Roman Catholic Church. So, right?
1: so yeah, um, f- first comes baptism, then comes fasting.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought that was an interesting, interesting point there because it seemed to imply that um um not it that it really was more of jesus's choice in his version to to do this rather than the kind of of strengthening by the holy spirit mm-hmm. it, it seemed to be that he kind of allowed jesus to be off on his own and so and it, he strove for all of this right all well of this. And that makes sense within catholic it, theology and, and it right? makes, it, it, that's the important piece there is it makes sense within roman catholic theology um Another author, and this guy, um, his name is William Cowper, he was a Puritan bishop, says, look, we learn through Jesus an example that our spiritual lives should be continued with abstinence and prayer.
1: (laughs) Of course. Uh, And again,
0: it's this mimicking Christ. Mm. He writes, prayer obtains strength to fast. Fasting obtains grace to pray. Fasting strengthens prayer. Prayer sanctifies fasting.
1: (laughs) So so again you know you get baptized and then you start praying and fasting.
0: And, and what's interesting yeah and what's interesting here is you go from a position of Calvin who is actually uses this as an anti-example that we shouldn't be trying to follow Christ because we are not Christ here and yet to then just a little bit right, later with right. a with a puritan tradition that's saying well, we have to strive. And the Puritans are so funny about that because they claim to follow Calvin, but as we have seen over time, they develop mm-hmm. into their own kind of... Um,
1: well, yeah. they kind of have a holiness component to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they are striving for holiness constantly. I mm-hmm. mean, they're the Puritans, right? Right, <laughs> right.
0: And and so it's really interesting how, um, how that theology and church practice kind of intertwine and end up in what seems almost almost backwards so like it's mm-hmm. almost a reverse so mm-hmm. um and then um again as i mentioned this this whole tempting issue is is problematic um for the reformers it it does not seem that god should tempt us
1: well and and i mean in in the new testament james says that you know god does not tempt anyone right yeah. exactly
0: and so um they look back to augustine who um actually does address this and suggests that it's God that tempts us to make us better but not the devil. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting as mm-hmm. well. Um,
1: well, and that reflects uh, as well, you know, the same Greek word, as we've said before, pyresmos or, or pyrazo, can be translated testing or tempting, and it's used of God. You know, it's, it's interesting because the, the Bible can use this word, pyrazo, for God. God tests, mm-hmm. but it's, it's translated in English, testing. Te- right. God tests people. But it's, and, 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 you know, it's the same word for mm-hmm. Satan or the devil, tempting but um it depends on who's doing it and what the what the intent is and and you know we might say they're splitting a bit of a theological hair here but i think it's one that needs to be split because to attribute uh, an evil intent to god it doesn't doesn't, doesn't, doesn't con- work. it's not consistent mm-hmm. no, with the character doesn't, of god. it
0: doesn't and then finally and this is no surprise i've kind of mentioned it earlier is that is that Calvin really dives in paragraphs actually of criticizing (laughs) the Roman Catholic tradition of fasting during Lent, which is based on the 40 days of temptation, right? This, this kicks off the whole Lenten lectionary, right? He says, this is, this is dumb because as he said, we are not Christ. We do not see this in the disciples. We do not see this in, um, we do not see this in the in the early church. Even it, it it merges on in the Roman Catholic tradition, and he said it's ridiculous because they don't really fast anyway because right. they eat this big dinner. But it or
1: just, or or in the German monasteries they drink this heavy wheat beer.
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so it's like this is Christ is set apart. Mm. Christ is set apart, mm. um, and he makes that observation that this is this is something of someone who. Um, is called to the ultimate sacrifice and mm-hmm. goes so far to say that fasting is a mockery of Christ. And I, I quoted him. This is an English translation. I, I wish we could say that they had only amused themselves like apes by such fooleries.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you just got to wish that Calvin would tell us what he really thinks. Uh, I,
0: exactly. <laughs> so I just, that was really interesting. And of course, you know, that's going to be one of the main issues with the with the Protestants is, mm-hmm. is, is much of the, excess and you know the reasons why one would fast and um suggesting this is not really an imitation of christ it's it's really mocking mm. christ's um sacrifice for us
1: you know and I, I understand entirely how they came to that you know and why because you know be- because of the way the Roman Catholic system was oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, as one who appreciates the full sweep of church history and the contributions of so many in the Mm -hmm. Catholic tradition, I find it sad that what happened as a result was that many in the Protestant tradition threw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, and they just rejected all the whole Catholic tradition. And there's so, there's so much richness there.
0: Right, exactly. Well, and it's so interesting. I mean, and right, they're so interesting. I think there's something, some benefit to mm-hmm. that process of giving, uh, of giving something of yourself. It, it, it helps remind you of Christ's sacrifice. But what's interesting, I think, is fair today is how often. I mean, how often now is oh, you know, today we we aren't going to serve meat on Friday, and people make and they, a big deal about it. And I'm like,
1: but they have these big catfish fries where they go and stuff themselves,
0: right? Or or <laughs> the, you know, I always remember the. I always remember I grew up with a lot of Roman Catholic friends and they're all a can of meat on Friday. And I was like, Oh good. Cause I'm a vegetarian. I don't like meat. I mean, I, I don't think that was the intent, right? <laughs> oh, <yeah>, right,
1: right.
0: <laughs> vegetarian I knew I was going to get mac and cheese every Friday and it was great. But, and uh, so it's, 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 it's the intent of that or just mm. the kind of bragging about it. That's not designed to be part of the process. Right, so, right. um, but, um, and then the final thing I have is that the word of God again back to the this, the word mm-hmm. uh, and this the use of, of Christ um, with the Scripture giving a strength against Satan um, and again that's emphasizing that Roman uh, excuse me that Reformation emphasis on the word on Scripture and sure. so this is a, a piece of this as well and they they're pulling into. Um, um, not only the, the physical scripture that Jesus quotes, but I think Jesus as the word, like as we would see later. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's great. Thanks, Christy. Thanks.
0: Hi, everybody. We're back, and we were thinking about um, really, how this passage can impact us today? And I actually went back to um, one of the pieces I was looking at as I was studying for this today, which was by the famous uh, Reformation historian Heiko Obermann, and his book um, "Luther: Man Between God and Devil." And one of the one of the things he was talking about in this was really the shift in how we think about our faith and and how we think about what um, God does for, um, for us. If, if, in other words, uh, prior to Luther, there was this sense if, if, if I just do, you know, it was, it was an we talked about works. If I only do these things, then, then God will have favor on me. Um, and Luther, you know, it was, it was about faith alone, but what really is faith alone? And I think that's the, the nuance of difference here. It's, 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 there's an idea that faith itself can be a work or if if only i pray enough because that's a faithful thing to do that that indeed will will make something happen and i i, I have to confess there's times when i think that myself can i how how long mm-hmm. do, should i say this pray over and over and over and over and i also thought about um, you know, I have one of those prayer wheels from the Eastern tradition. You know, mm-hmm. and you put the prayer inside, and then you you roll it back and forth, and a little drum is like a prayer every time going out. If I, if it, will it make a difference if I do this a million? <laughs> t- and I'm like, you know, yeah. I know better, but yet there's this sense yeah. that I, it's something I can do. And I think um, I think this passage has a different uh, helps us think about faith in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I you know I must confess I have been I have fallen prey to that. Thinking myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I pray faithfully enough, if I pray consistently enough, then I'll get the outcome that I mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and we we we, we see that as faith. And there is a lot in popular Christian uh, culture these days, whether it's literature, whether it's preaching, mm-hmm. whether it's music. I see it a lot in popular Christian music these days that equates faith with. You know, all I have to do is say the name of Jesus over something and and all my troubles are going to go away or, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to I'm gonna be blessed beyond my imagination or I'm right. going to have all my wishes come true.
0: Well, okay, get this. <clears throat> so I was in the car with a friend the other day and she's looking for a parking place and all of a sudden this, dear Jesus, just let there be a yeah, parking right. place. Look, a parking place right. has opened up and I'm thinking, hmm. I'm not sure that Jesus had anything to do with (laughs) the parking spot, but she believed that it did. She believed that little prayer did.
1: And we have a mutual friend. I know that I know that state wrestling. The state wrestling meet is much on your mind because your son is in it this today and uh, later today. And um, a a mutual friend, uh, her son was also uh, trying to get there. And you know, um, there was a Facebook post that said basically, "Say a prayer for our team." You know. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think about the 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 the, comp, the 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 cartoon where the football player in the Super Bowl is is scoring a touchdown and he's po- pointing his finger to the sky and says, "This one's for you, Jesus." And then the next panel shows Jesus watching hockey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic.
1: But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, to me, and I don't, I mean, I understand, you know, these things are important. I mean, it's important to you that your son is wrestling in the state meet today. And I get it. And, and you know, uh, I mean, I think God is a God who wants us to bring our cares to him, right? right these are things right, that right. that are ma- matter to us. But... You know, the thought that if you pray the right way, or if you say the right words, or if you do the right things, then God's going to guarantee that you get to go right. to the state tournament. You know, that that to me that's right. magical thinking. It's not faith.
0: Well, and, and to me it's not humility.
1: No. You know no, what I mean, which is I think one yeah. of the
0: main themes of this today.
1: Yeah. Well, and 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 what we see in this narrative in Luke. You know, I was I was telling Christy beforehand, I'm not a fan of the temptation narratives because I think they give too much attention to the devil. Yeah. <laughs> true. But but I love the the way Luke crafts this narrative because it demonstrates, you know, Jesus is, you know, not only being tested in terms of how he's going to fulfill his role as son of God, but he also demonstrates, you know, Jesus serves as the prime example for what faith looks like. And, and, it, and it, you know, it's it's, you know, it's very deep and it's rooted in the Hebrew Bible. And, you know, we have this, it starts with this humble acknowledgement that, you know what? Regardless of what I might want to believe, everything that I have, everything that I am comes from God. Mm-hmm. I am completely dependent for all of my life on God alone. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's the Shema. The Lord alone is our God. There is no other one mm-hmm. who provides for us. There is no other one who has created us. There is no mm-hmm. other one mm-hmm. who can... Um, who can? Who deserves our worship and who can command our right, our faithfulness? Right, right. And, and so, as a result, then you know if mm-hmm. that's if that's our starting point that our we we put our faith in right. in God who is alone, the right. Lord who is God alone, then the next step is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind right, and strength. Right,
0: right, right. Well, and and I think these specific temptations there, which Um, you know, which seem really attractive. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's hard for us to to see, obviously the food, we all understand the food. I don't know that we all identify with the kingdom's one as much, but when you think about you could be, you could be not alone you could mm. be with all of these people and you could be in a situation where everyone looks up to you mm-hmm. now we all can have that experience sure. as well and faith isn't do these things and you get this i mean we don't we don't get this in this um, in this narrative of oh i'm not going to pay attention to the youth that I'm going to pay attention to god but god doesn't turn around and say oh and now you get these things as well right? i mean
1: No, I mean, yeah, we we have this mindset that if we obey God, then automatically we're going to receive a reward.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, The reward may be, you know, the life we spend with God – in the end yeah you know what we get in this life may be suffering and death which is what jesus got
0: exactly right jesus was
1: the was the prime example of faith and faithfulness to god and what he got for his faith and faithfulness was death on the cross exactly
0: right and so we
1: have to keep that in mind um you know i think i think also that um you know we we have embraced whether we want to admit it or not we have embraced in too many ways the notion that the ends justify the means we have embraced the notion too much that you know right. it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get to the what's in, right. what's what you're trying to accomplish that's what matters right, and right. you know i've <laughs> said it before i'll say it many times you know gospel mean gospel ends demand gospel means we yes. cannot accomplish the mean the ends of the kingdom if we do not use the means of the kingdom
0: that's a really good that's a really good observation because i hear that all the time mm-hmm. you know and 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 there's all these justifications for things uh, you know um well as long as i as long as i do this that's right and, and instead of really responding into um <laughs> and still running, responding into God's love, which may take us to a different direction. It might be a lot harder to get there. Sure, um, I, I'm thinking about confirmation a little bit, where it's it's parents that are like, well. We just want the kid to be con- confirmed, right. you know, because why... then we
1: know that their eternal destiny is secure,
0: right? Kind of thing, or and and instead of realizing that it's it's not in getting there, but it's in this journey of walking with God.
1: But but getting them to actually engage with their teenager at home about what they're studying in confirmation mm-hmm. is like pulling teeth, right? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: And um, now we got a letter back from one mom, you know, and it's, um, well, this is you know this is just going to have to do, and it's like, um, if she's not gaining, if she's not able to work through her faith and her relationship with God here, this isn't really doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that you hit these benchmarks and you cross it off, and I think that's the problem. I have a lot of students that want to put confirmation on their list of things, this reminds me of, so I've got, I've got, Senior, and um, you know, you fill out these forms, and they they want to see all the things the student has done. And I have had students that say, "Well, I'm going to serve a role in the church. I'm on the committee," but they never show up once. Mm-hmm that's not really serving god if you mm. aren't actually engaging but they, in they
1: it. do it primarily so that they can put, it on, they can put it on their resume when they're applying for college right right, right. right.
0: and i see that a lot so mm-hmm. i did it one time so it counts mm-hmm. and it's like well you know it really doesn't show a commitment to the cause mm-hmm. i would rather see a, a young person say no i've i've become an usher in a church and i do it once a month and i've mm-hmm. done it once a month for a year because it's important for right. me to that's something i'm called to do in my faith something like that
1: well and he, here's the you know here's i think there's a connection here because for, for 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 the you know the whole biblical foundation here is that the lord alone is our God, and therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And what does that look like? It looks like not only fidelity to God in terms of we are not going to break the covenant by, by going after other gods, but also it looks like obedience to God's commands in the way you live your life. Right. And, and, and again, well, I think we see this with Jesus, that his you know, genuine faith, his faith that recognizes that the Lord alone is God and that he is ultimately dependent upon God for everything, leads to his faithfulness in that when the devil comes to him and tempts him with these various temptations, he's able to say, no, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to compromise my fidelity to God. I am going to remain faithful to God and to his purposes and to the purposes of God's kingdom because that is my calling and that is what God would have me to do. I am going to obey God. God. And I you know again <laughs> we want to think that if we do the right things, if we have the right faith, if we pray right. the right prayers, if we go to church enough times, then right. we're going to get rewarded for it. Right. That's not the mindset right. of, of the right. Bible. That's right. not faith in the Bible. Right. Faith is a response to that sense that the Lord is God, the right, Lord alone, right. and therefore only the Lord can command and deserve my ultimate love. Right, And if I then do actually truly love God the way God deserves right, and demands, right. then my life is going to show it by my faithfulness exactly. to God's purpose.
0: So I've been working with this 98-year-old woman, and she is something, and she is... Um, she's at church every Sunday and she's not well enough to be at church. And she says to me the other day, she says, I, I don't know why I'm still here. She said, you know, I, 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 I just don't, I, I don't know why am God must have me here for some reason. And I'm here and, and, and it's her, you know, and it's like, because your, your faithfulness mm-hmm. and it's uh, a reflection of this, um, I I don't, it's not, she's not staying here because of her faithfulness, right? But, but... I think God has kept her here because mm-hmm. she has some role of fulfilling God's kingdom here. I think there's an important space for her, her love, her knowledge, her uh, interpretation. She spends a lot of time saying, why, why did people do that to each other? Mm-hmm. Why Why did I do that? And so she has this vast knowledge of faithfulness and experience of mm-hmm. when she tried to force something to happen. Right. And that really it's in God's hands. And she lost her mother when she was six Mm. in front of her, she lost her father when um, she was in her twenties. She lost her husband. And Mm. now just recently, her daughter has lost her husband. So this woman has had a lot of loss in Mm -hmm. her very faithful life, but has, when you, when you learn her story, she's just always called to be present at church. And she's always called um, to be present with people in their pain.
1: I'm sure she's one of those people Who just exudes uh, the love of God (laughs) by her very presence,
0: and missing and missing church for her is a very big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's she. I think she just feels so close at God's presence there. Mm -hmm. Um, So what a fascinating fascinating example of faith
1: absolutely and faith that 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 um, real faith that that demonstrates itself by
0: faithful living yeah and i haven't seen her sit there and ask herself woe is me Mm -hmm. why did i lose my mother as a child why Mm -hmm. did i lose my father too young why did i lose my husband no she doesn't ask those questions Mm -hmm. she She, has
1: the faith to trust God. she has
0: the faith to trust god yeah
1: yeah that's amazing it is amazing thanks christy thank you That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word.
0: word.